Before I talk about the two readings we heard today, the latter part of Psalm 22 and a passage from St Mark's Gospel, I want to draw your attention to a monument on the south wall of the nave. The monument is to one Richard Chatterton, an eminent plumber of the city of Bath, and I often point this monument out to visitors as it sends an important message about love for one's neighbour and the price that one might pay for that love. The monument, which is over 200 years old, reads, To Ventress Chatterton, whose anxious breast gave instant aid to every heart distressed, whilst wretched viewed their habitations fired, he braved the flames and in the attempt expired. Ingenious artisans of thy remains, a weeping city pours lamenting strains, whilst thy sad widow clasps the babes and cries, beneath this stone your dear fond father lies. Now if you ponder for a moment on the events described, the sacrifice made by Richard Chatterton, and the impact on his wife and his children, all for the benefit of the people whose house caught fire. Richard's life was cut short, but others also lost. His wife lost her husband and the breadwinner of the family, who would love and support her and her children in the coming years. And with Richard's actions, what expectations were dashed? The family might have expected a comfortable life, supported by a successful artisan. But because of his actions, their future was irrecoverably changed. Now keep those thoughts in mind while we turn to our two readings. Turning first to Psalm 22. Now the complete psalm, of which we heard only the last nine verses, if you look later, there are 31 verses in all, comprises an appeal to God for help, starting with the words that Christ will repeat upon the cross in a few weeks' time. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And this is followed by a series of complaints, expressions of trust, petitions, and finally an expression of praise and adoration. Today we heard simply the final verses of praise and adoration, and I will come back to this later. The Gospel is the culmination of chapter 8 of St Mark's Gospel. The full chapter contains the feeding of the 5,000, the restoration of sight to a blind man, Peter declaring that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and finally our passage today, which at first sight appears to be an anticlimax. But the short passage makes three important points. Peter's expectations were that Jesus, the Messiah, would be the great leader who would restore Israel's fortunes, but he was wrong. Secondly, Jesus explains that setting your mind on divine things requires a very different mindset to setting your mind on human things. And lastly, Jesus sets out what is required of his followers to be true to his teaching. And those, those challenges are no small beer. Now we see many instances of Peter's impetuous behaviour. Indeed, he's almost like Corporal Jones in Dad's Army. Let me be the one, sir. But this one takes the biscuit. Peter openly rebukes Jesus for his teaching, which in turn causes Jesus to return the rebuke, likening Peter to Satan. Get behind me, Satan. It's clearly quite a spat. Now what spurred Peter's rebuke? The passage we heard today follows immediately after a discussion that Jesus had with his disciples on a journey to the village of Caesarea Philippi. Now in that discussion, Jesus asked who did people think that Jesus was? The disciples suggested John the Baptist, Elijah or one of the, one of the prophets. But Peter, in his typical impulsive manner, declares that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and Jesus does not deny it. Peter's spirits were high, 
If Jesus were the Christ, and he has seen evidence of this with his own eyes in the miracles recently performed by Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000, the curing of the blind, was Jesus not the man who would bring about revolution, overthrow the yoke of Roman rule, and restore Israel to its rightful position in the world? But Peter is brought back to earth, or should I say heaven, with a bump. Jesus has not described the future that Peter expected, but a future in which Jesus himself would have to undergo great suffering, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. And this was too much for Peter, and he pushed back. Jesus points out that Peter has missed the point. He's thinking of worldly things, not heavenly things. He's on the side of man, not God. Peter has just stated that Jesus is the Christ, an acclamation which Jesus has not denied. But Jesus has now made it clear that the Christ does not bring about earthly victory and wealth. To think like that is to think like the devil. Perhaps Peter had missed six important words. After three days he would rise again. It's not part five of a six-part thriller. Not that Peter would have watched six-part thrillers. Things have been going to bad for worse for our hero or heroine who you know is capable of great things, but cannot win over adversity. Part 5 must inevitably take things to a new low, to set up the, the scene for the great victory in Part 6. But this is not fiction, and for Peter and his disciples there can be no guarantee of a happy ending. Is After Three Days Rise Again the theme for Part 6? Now Peter's impetuous behaviour has set the scene for what Jesus now says to the crowd. In other translations, the multitude of disciples, who were gathered to listen to his teaching. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? What can they give in return for their life? And those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. These challenging words are also aimed at us. And I found the next part of my talk the most difficult to articulate. One could continue with a Bible-thumping sermon, deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow Christ, but that would be ingenuous. Consider our position today here in Bath. Despite the gloomy news we hear daily on the radio, read in the newspapers, watch on TV or pick up on social media, we here in Bath live a very comfortable life. It's also a very materialistic life. Success is measured in terms of wealth, possessions or position. Perhaps that's why there's so few of us here in church today. To understand Christ's teaching, we must turn things on its head. The message that Jesus uses Peter's words and actions to emphasise is that we, if, if we are to be a follower of Christ, we must give in a world that takes, love in a world that hates, heal in a world that injures, give life in a world that kills, offer mercy where others seek vengeance, forgiveness when others condemn, and compassion when others are indifferent. I am often brought back to the prayers of penitence we speak at the start of every communion service. In response to the question, what are the two most important commandments? Jesus said, love God and love your neighbour as yourself. Now these are very difficult commandments to keep, very difficult to truly keep. 
we live a comfortable life. But to follow Christ's example is hard, and to truly follow his example is very hard, for one at which I know I fail. But remember the two most important commandments to which we must aspire. Love God and love your neighbour. The latter an act which Richard Chatterton gave his life for. The psalm brings a conclusion to the lessons from today's readings. We did not hear the complaints and the petitions, we only heard the praise and adoration, an expression of the love of God. The psalm emphasises that despite everything, continue to love God. Amen.